0: And uh, We're continuing on in our uh, series in the parables of Jesus, uh, and if you would like to, uh, to turn to one of the Bibles in the, in the church there and follow along, it's um, Luke 15, uh, and it's on page 1049, and it would be, I think we'd find it very helpful if you have uh, a Bible open in front of you as we walk through this parable this morning. It's on, uh, if you can just reach for one of those church Bibles and open it at page 1049. That would be great. This is God's Word, and, and, and Jesus is speaking uh, in the context of a number of parables around uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and in this parable of the lost son. So let's read it together, starting from uh, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. When he came near, and near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf "'because he has him back safe and sound.' "'The older brother became angry and refused to go in. "'So his father went out to, and, ple, to pleaded, and pleaded with him. "'But he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I've slaved for you "'and I've, I've obeyed, never disobeyed your orders. "'Yet you never give me even a young goat "'so I could celebrate with my friends.' Amen. Amen. I don't know what springs to mind when you, uh, when you hear the phrase prodigal son, uh, but it's a term that has really come into everyday language, and it has several different connotations. Perhaps when you hear the, the, the prodigal son, you think of, uh, of the return of the prodigal son and the painting by Rembrandt that was painted in the 1660s and, and now hangs in a, a museum in St. Petersburg in Russia. Or maybe you think of that well-known Irish folk song, The Wild Rover. There is so much in this parable and around it, and including who Jesus is speaking to. And there's so much in it. But I just believe that God has led a very simple message on my heart for you today. It's the story of the lost or the prodigal son. And this son simply wants to do things his way, doesn't he? You see, it happened then and it happened now. And we can all identify with it. You know, I want it all. I want it now. I want it my way. We can all identify with that because we all are like that at times, aren't we? And there are absolutely timeless truths in this story. It's, it's like all Jesus' parables, and it's as relevant today for us as ever it was. So firstly, we see the younger son. The younger son wants things his way. He wants to throw off what he perceives to be the shackles of the father and to set off on a selfish journey to satisfy his own desire. So the first thing that strikes us here from this story is is the waywardness or the selfishness, or let's just call it what he calls it himself in verse 18, the sin, the sin of the son. He wants to sing his way, and in order to fund his pleasure-seeking adventure, he asks his father for his inheritance now. Now, we all know that an inheritance would normally come to a son after his father's death, but this son, this son in verse 12, he wants his inheritance right now, right while his father is very much alive and kicking, and in effect, he is saying that he would rather his father was dead. You see, he wants his father's stuff, but not his father. He wants the gifts, but not the giver. And he tells his father in no uncertain terms. Can you imagine how the father must have felt? But nevertheless, the father agrees to the son's request, he gives him his share of the farm. And the son sells off the share of the family estate. Now in that traditional agricultural society, like it is in many parts of the world today, and in parts of Northern Ireland, in rural parts of Northern Ireland, to to, to sell off family land is just a great shame. It brings shame on the family. And, And some farmers will do anything to avoid having to do that. But the son wishes the father dead. He splits up the farm, he sells off the land, and he leaves. For the father, it's one slap in the face after another. I suppose nowadays it would be like asking your your father for his credit card, for the contents of his bank account, for the deeds of his house, for the clothes of his back, and then disappearing off over the horizon in his new top-of-the-range Mercedes-Benz. That's what this is like. And so anyway, the son gets his way for that time and he he gets everything and he he goes off to pursue his own selfish agenda for a while. As verse 13 tells us, squandering his wealth in wild living. But then the money ran out. The money ran out. In his rejection of his father and and in his own selfish desire to do things his way, well, it all very soon started to go very pear-shaped on him, didn't it? Verse 14 tells us, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. So the son goes off to, and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent them to the field to feed pigs. Now this is perhaps a little bit lost on us, but feeding pigs, feeding pigs for a Jew, that is the lowest job imaginable. Pigs are considered by Jews to be unclean. And I don't just mean smelly unclean, I mean spiritually unclean as well. Anyone who came into contact with a pig was spiritually unclean. This was the equivalent to working in the sewers, and it was also sacrilege. And you see, left to his own devices, the prodigal son had got himself into a situation that literally stank to high heaven. Verse 18 tells us that it offended him and it offended God. And the simple truth is this, that this younger son represents every sinner down through all the ages, including you and me here this morning. You see, left to our own selfish devices, our own devices, and going on our own selfish way, apart from the Father and His ways, our situation will stink it will inevitably get us into a place that stinks. And we know in our hearts that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so, there among the pig poo, the younger brother starts to realize just that. Verse 17 tells us that he comes to his senses and he starts to make a plan. Now he knows that he is in debt to his father and he can never pay back what he owes. He has sold off the share of the father's estate and he has squandered everything he had. He has nothing to offer his father. And he knows that he has dragged his father's name through the mud. And he knows, but he, but he thinks to himself if, if my father will only agree to take me on as a servant, then I'll start to work for him and start to make some sort of, of restitution. So he thinks things through and, and he comes up with what Invest I would call a business plan. And, and there in the pigsty, he rehearses it in his head. He, he learns his lines. He, he's going to go, he, he's going to stop going his own way. Uh, and he's going to do a complete 180. Uh, and he's going to start back towards his father. Back towards home. He thinks in verse 18, I'll go back to my father. I'll confess my wrongdoing to him. I'll, I'll acknowledge that I don't expect him to take me or to treat me like a son. But if he will even treat me like a servant, then I'll start to make some sort of repayment to him. And I know that I don't deserve it. But he is my only chance. Can we identify with the younger son here this morning? Have we at some point in our selfish desire to have things our own way, have we turned our backs on our Heavenly Father? Or are we running or walking or even just simply drifting away from Him? Well, He is calling us back. This morning He is calling us back. He is calling us like His Son here to come to our senses. To to do an about turn and to start back towards Him again today. So we see the waywardness, the selfishness, the sin of the Son that reflects something of our own, doesn't it? But He came to His senses. So, as we continue to reflect on this, let's look now at the Father. That's the next thing we want to look at the love of the Father. Oh, as the story unfolds, and much against the culture of the day, we learn that the Father is a man full of grace and love. Verse 12 tells us when the younger son asked him for his share of the estate, the Father simply divided up the property and gave it to him. You see, we often think of the Father being gracious when the Son returns, but the Father is always gracious even before the son leaves. You see, when the son insulted the father by wishing him dead, by asking for his inheritance, by shaming him in the community, the father could have shown him the door, could have kicked him out, could have told him never ever to come back. And that's what Jesus' listeners would have expected to hear. That's what most fathers would have done. But not this father. This father doesn't do that. This father... Isn't like that. You see, no, instead, this father bears the agony of rejection by his son. He bears the loss of his land, he bears the loss of his dignity, and he bears the loss of respect amongst his neighbors. But there's one thing that this father never loses. He loses his land, he loses his dignity, his standing in the community and his son. But he never loses the love that he has for his son. Never. Because this father's love for his son is simply beyond all measure. Verse 20 tells us, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father had been watching out for him day by day, taking up his post, watching down that road, watching out for his son. You see, the father hadn't just given up on him and said, and thought, well, just give him his stuff and let him get on with it. as his life. No, the father watched out for him because the father still loved him. The father still wanted what was best for him the father still longed to see his son coming up that road and to have him return home, to have him back. Verse 20 goes on. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now here's something else that we might miss. But in that culture, the father was a man of dignity. No father ran anywhere Lest he appear to be undignified. Children would run, servants would run, young men would run, women would run, but the male head of the family, the father, he wouldn't run. He wouldn't run, not for anything, not for anyone, not ever. But this father, this father, look, he sees his son a long way off coming up the road, and in his deep, deep love for him, the father runs. And he runs towards him and he runs a long way to meet him, to embrace him, to welcome him home. And all before the son even gets to say a single word. Did you notice that? The father ran to the son because he hadn't forgot about him, he hadn't stopped loving him, he hadn't stopped missing him, and he hadn't given up on him. And the father embraces the son and starts rejoicing in his homecoming. He doesn't let the son even finish his well-rehearsed little statement. Verse 21, the son gets only halfway through what he has gone over in his head to say. And his father is already saying, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they prepare a feast and they strike up the band and they start to celebrate. And they bring out the fattened calf. The fattened calf symbolizes absolutely everything that is the best the father has to offer on a very special occasion. This is not some wee Mickey Mouse happy meal from McDonald's for the father and the son to share. This is the fattened calf. It's not a wee baby calf and it's not a wee skinny calf. It's the fattened calf. Balmoral Show is on next week. Go check out the fattened calves. There's a lot of eating in them. (laughs) Tons of your finest cuts. You see, this fattened calf, it's enough for the whole community to share in the Father's joy at His Son's return. There's loads for everybody. Their cups and and plates will overflow and the feasting will go on for days. And the best robe? Well, the best robe is the father's robe. The best robe that is brought out and put on the son is the father's own robe. And that signifies restored standing in the family. And it's a robe of dignity that covers the nakedness and shame of the son. The ring, the ring is the father's seal. The father is in effect saying, you and I are one. And the sandals too are are again a sign of sonship. The servants go bare feet. The son gets the shoes. And by interrupting the son's own plans for restitution, the father is saying, I'm not going to wait until you can try to pay back a debt that you can never clear. And you're not going to earn your way back into the family. You can't. The debt you owe is too great. No, I am simply taking you back. Right here. Right now. Right as you are. Folks, this is what we mean by grace. This is grace. Amazing grace. This is how the father deals with the prodigal. this is how our Heavenly Father still deals with us prodigals. This is the good news of the gospel. Right here. You see, the prodigal goes from the pigsty to the father's embrace. He goes from a distant land to home, from famine to feast, from rags to the richest of robes. The grace of the Father takes him from lost to found, from death to life. Pure grace, amazing grace. But there was a cost. There was a massive cost. Because who pays the price for the the sinful lifestyle of the Son? Who pays the price for his sins and mine? Who makes it possible for that prodigal and this prodigal and all the prodigals of all time to return home to the loving embrace of the Father? Yes, it's the one who's telling the story, isn't it? For as Jesus tells this story, Jesus is on his way to making it all possible. And so it's to Jesus that we now turn for our third and final point. You see, Jesus teaches this parable of, of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And we might ask, well, whereabouts in, in, in the picture is Jesus in, in, in Luke 15? Well, it tells us in Luke 13, 22. It tells us there that Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And what happens at Jerusalem. Yes, the tower of the story makes it all possible. For at Jerusalem on the hill of Calvary, Jesus pays the bill. Someone has to pick up the bill for the sins of the sons and at Jerusalem, Jesus pays the bill for all the prodigals for all time. For at Jerusalem on that wonderful, horrible Friday afternoon, behold the man upon a cross, my sin. Upon his shoulders. God the Father gave his Son to the world, and God the Son gave his life at the cross for all prodigals. His wounds have paid our ransom. You see, Jesus went from the throne of heaven, where he beheld angels in glory, to the cross of Calvary, where he beheld sinners in agony. He made the journey from the realms of glory. To the cross of Calvary, so that we could make the journey from the distant land back into the arms of the Father who loves us. The Father and the Son had been one from before time began, beholding one another in perfect unity since in the beginning. But look that day at Calvary, that day as Jesus hung on that cross for your sins and for mine, what did the Father do? As Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his face away. The father looked away from the son. The son and the father were separated for the only time in the history of eternity. For all our sin and wrongdoing. Every wrong thing that we've ever thought and said or done was heaped on Jesus' shoulders. And all the punishment that we deserve was laid on him. The father turned his face away from his one and only son. The father turned his face away from the one and only sinless son. He turned his face away from Jesus. And he turned his face instead to us. And he looked us in the eye. And he said, this is how much I love you. This is how much I'm willing to pay for you. This is how much I want to forgive you. This is how much I want you back. In this parable, the prodigal son came to his senses and the prodigal son came home back to the love of the father. What about you and me? You see, the father and the son have done all the hard work. The Father and the Son have made it possible for us to have our lives turned right around to come back to God, to come back home. But but we have to, like the prodigal, we have to come to our senses, to confess our sin, to come to the Father, to come to the cross, where He comes running to meet us and where He accepts us right back, right here, right now, right as we are. You see... We sang earlier about it, the reckless love of God. And as Tim Cower has written a little book called The Prodigal God, and as Cower says in that book, he says of this parable, the son's reckless living is trumped only by the father's reckless loving. The son's reckless living is trumped by the father's reckless loving. And that's what God is reminding us of here this morning, folks. He's saying to us, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, come to me. I want you to come back to me. I want to forgive you. I want you home. Because, you see, there is no sin that is a match for the love of the Father. None. There is no sin that can prevent the Father from embracing his children. None. Because he is simply bigger, 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 always bigger. Bigger. Where sin abounds, His grace all the more abounds. So just as I finish, maybe spiritually we're far away from home today, far away from God. Or perhaps you've never actually come to faith, come to Him in faith. Or maybe you have, but like this younger son, you're at some point turned your back on Him. Or maybe you've simply drifted away, and before you know it, you're In a distant land. And it's not good. Well let me invite you to step back towards the Father. And his love and his embrace again today. Because the good news this morning is that our Father. Our Father hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He still loves you. He still misses you. He still watches out for you. He still longs to come running to embrace you to bless you, and to welcome you home today. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment in God's presence and in silence to reflect on what He's been saying to us this morning and to respond to Him in faith. If you're a Christian who's perhaps been drifting away from the Father, then why not turn to Him afresh this morning and receive anew His mercy and grace and His joy, His embrace. Receive anew the wonderful assurance that you're a dearly loved child of God and start to live again for Him. And if you're not a Christian and you'd like to come to the Father this morning, then I'd like to. Uh, offer you a little prayer that you can repeat after me in the silence of your heart. It's a prayer from our little Why Jesus booklet. And if you'd like to come to the Father now, the prayer is this. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong Thank you that you died on the cross for me that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And let's just continue in the silence for a moment in response to the Father. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you call us your children. We thank you for all your goodness, gifts, and blessings to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Oh man. Oh man.